Folks, uh, let's go ahead and begin, and I'll ask uh, Kevin in just a moment to open us in prayer. But a passage we've returned to several times, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's he talking about there? That we don't just judge people based on who they are in this life or what they've accomplished or whatever. Uh, we look at that person as somebody uh, who has a soul. Somebody that needs to be made right with the Lord, right? That's really how we, we uh, judge people based on that. He says we once regarded Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. Some may have just regarded him as a man, uh, but he's more than that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Kevin, if you'd open us. Amen. We may, judging by time, we may cover two units tonight and then two units next week. If we're able to keep that pace, next Sunday we would complete this. Okay? Uh, talk to me a minute. Did you ever have missionaries come to your church when you were a kid? And this may be a little bit loud, Jonathan. Is it loud to y'all? Pretty loud to me. Okay. 
Anyway, you may have had uh, missionaries come to your church when you were a kid and maybe back then they had their slides or their overheads and they probably had table, tables of little knickknacks from the culture they were trying to reach uh, up front and they made their presentations to the church. Uh, what did you think about that? Hmm? You thought what? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Pretty brave. Yeah. Especially some of the cultures they would go to, right? Even decades ago, how dangerous some of them were. Okay. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. And that's a nice segue into tonight because as you were watching those missionaries at your home church, you might have thought, wow, maybe I don't ever want to be a missionary, you know? You mean I've got to go to a culture like that and uh, eat monkey or, you know, something like that? You know what I'm talking about? You thought, mm, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I can't be somebody like that, a missionary. But you know what's Paul saying here in 2 Corinthians 5? We are all what? Ambassadors for Christ. And think of that when he says God is, is making his appeal through us. Because God works through his people, right? Faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10 says, and hearing by the word of God. How are they going to hear if no one is sent? You know, Paul sets up that staircase in Romans 10 about you have to hear. Uh, and to hear, somebody's got to go. To go, they've got to be sent. And then you hear, you've got to believe. Well, how's somebody going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if nobody tells? And how's somebody going to tell unless they've been sent? And he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who come preaching the good news we're, we're all missionaries we're all ambassadors and so the truth is it's not just exotic peoples out there somewhere uh, with strange customs and a strange language and it's them who don't know Christ no it's most of the people around us right here in the Bible Belt in America who don't believe. Probably on your street, if there's 50 houses on your street, probably you and maybe one other family on that whole street has a church home. And that's assuming at their church that they go to, do they hear the gospel? And have they believed? But chances are when you come to church on a Sunday morning, 98% of your neighbors 
uh, they're not in church. Uh, so most of the people around us are just as lost as these people in distant, faraway cultures that we speak of. And you know, whether you're in some remote island somewhere or whether you're in Concord, North Carolina, to be lost is to be lost. Uh, speaking of missionaries, there was a famous 19th century missionary by the name of George Stott. George had lost a leg and uh, just had the one leg and he went as a missionary to China. And after speaking in a church in America one day, somebody said, uh, George, with one leg, why in the world have you gone to China to preach the gospel? And George said, because I don't see too many people with two legs going to China to preach the gospel. You know, the truth is, if we want to find excuses, we can. But, but we do need to put our excuses down. On average, uh, supposedly, every single one of us, the people we interact with every day, we have 27 separate conversations with people on a daily basis and whether men or women uh, we speak on average about 16,000 words a day uh, you know we talk about pets we talk about kids we talk about sports teams we talk about so much we even talk about politics don't we but you know, so oftentimes when it comes to our faith, we act like there's super glue on our lips. We kind of assume if we get in a gospel, gospel conversation with somebody, they're either going to want to argue with us or they're going to just reject us and walk away, something of that nature, right? That's not typical. Well, let me, uh, let me give you two examples he gives. Uh, Eddie and Jacob are two young men who are holding each other accountable to share the gospel intentionally. They've been praying together for open doors and opportunities to do so. One day, while walking through the grocery store, they saw a man and quickly assumed that this was a guy who would not be open to, to the gospel. He was a biker type with his tattoos, his leather vest, his ponytail, pretty rough looking guy, the whole nine yards. Eddie and I decided that uh, we'd go ahead and approach the man despite our initial evaluation of him. And the account here is, it says, to their surprise, he was very open to the gospel because his wife had been diagnosed with cancer only days earlier. The gospel gave this man great hope in the midst of his trial, and he repented and believed that day in the grocery store. He says another church member was sitting in the hospital waiting room with only one other man. The man was somewhat unkempt and seemed irritated and unapproachable. 
Plus, the man's size was quite a bit intimidating. He looked fully capable of hurting anybody in the hospital that day who might approach him. Our church member prayed for the man and thought about God's arms not being too short to save. Then he mustered up his courage and spoke to the man saying, Sir, I know you don't know me, but I'd like to share some good news with you. The man responded by saying, I sure could use some good news today. He came over, sat next to the church member who shared the gospel with him using the three circles. The man came to faith in Jesus right there in the hospital waiting room. We don't need to assume who will hear and believe and who won't. Have you ever noticed the paradox in the Gospels about this? Who believed and who didn't? You ever notice that? Uh, who would have thought Paul? I mean, he was so steadfast against Jesus. Who would have thought Paul would have been converted? How about the Gerasene demoniac who lived among the tombs? And nobody even wanted to approach him at all. How about the woman caught in adultery? How about the thief on the cross? How about Zacchaeus? A chief tax collector. All of the above, if we were looking at them, we might have said, Eh, you know, Rabbi Saul, the garrison demoniac, the woman caught in adultery, is that kid? Nah, that's too hard of a field. I want somebody easier to talk to. But each one of them, God reached them. And at the same time, isn't it, isn't it interesting, some of the people that you might have said, if you were judging people from the flesh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 here, we don't judge anybody according to the flesh anymore. If you were judging somebody uh, according to the flesh, you might look at the rich young ruler and say, oh man, he, yeah, you know, he, he seems pretty calm and he's a rich young ruler and it seems like he's seeking I'll go and talk to him. I'd rather talk to him than the garrison demoniac. He'll believe. He didn't. Or, how about the religious leaders that had been telling the people for centuries the Messiah's coming? I mean, let me talk to a religious leader. Surely they'll believe. No, they were some of the very ones who were the most dead set against Christ. What I'm saying is, if like these two men in the hospital that day, or in the, the two men in the grocery store and the other man in the hospital, we have to be careful that we don't just look at somebody and say, mm, no, he wouldn't believe anyway. I don't want to talk to him. I can tell by the way he looks. He's not interested. I can tell by his expression. I'll get punched in the nose if I try to share with him. We don't need to make those kind of assumptions, do we? Uh, again, thinking about missionaries uh, and going to faraway places and how we can't just limit it to that. 
if, if the world is going to be reached for Christ, it's got to be through everyday conversations that all of us have with our circles of influence. And interestingly enough, that seems to be how the early church started out in the book of Acts. I mean, of course, yes, you did have somebody like Peter preaching and you'd have Paul go places and preach. But, you know, I, I think of when John and Peter were simply walking up to the temple that day because the early Christians were going into the temple to still observe the times of prayer. They hadn't broken away from the temple yet. And as they're just going into the temple that day, who was outside? Do you remember who was outside as Peter and John walked up to the temple? Who did they see? The beggar, the lame man. And you remember he wanted alms from them. And you remember what Peter said? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. An everyday conversation, somebody that Peter and John were just coming across that day. And they just engaged in conversation. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? Now, of course, God had sent him out on that desert road that leads down to Gaza. But when he saw that Ethiopian eunuch and he drew near to listen, you know, just what would appear from a human standpoint of view, just a happenstance type meeting. We know it was arranged by God, but Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? Just everyday conversations. And that seems to be what the early church, the early Christians did. And so the scripture says every day God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Every day. How was... How were people being added to the church every day? Because the people in the church, in their everyday conversations as they were out and about, they were sharing the good news and people were believing. You know, Jason in Acts 17 said of the Christians, these men have come here and they are turning the world upside down. Jason probably said that about the early Christians because the Christians at large, just the everyday Joe in the congregation was out there sharing the good news. Right? Daily conversations were evidently the M.O. of the early church members. Just the, just the M.O. Daily, church, uh, daily conversations, everyday conversations. You know, as we think about everyday conversations, one of the main objections to sharing the gospel, what, what we've been learning in three circles, is that people say, I don't know how to transition an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. And we make it more difficult than it really is. Uh, let, me, let me read an example to you here.
somebody going through this class, um, Three Circles, with, with the guy that we hear from on, on tape. He sent him a text. Today I stopped to get coffee. And the guy at the table next to me started a conversation with me. And it happened just like you said. He shared a problem. I asked if I could share something with him, and he said yes. He was so moved by our conversation that he took the napkin that I'd shared the gospel on, the three circles, he took that with him and went straight home. He said, I've got to share this with my wife. We make it more difficult than it is. And again, we assume that people aren't ready to listen. Whereas, over and over again, we see that they are. Uh, now, let's watch the video. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to see uh, the third video. So, you'll want to get your booklet out and turn to Lesson 3. And he is going to point out the, the three circles, the approach that, this approach right here that he's sharing with us. Admittedly, this approach works best when somebody shares a problem or an issue or concern. It kind of invites the opportunity to share with them, doesn't it? And so uh, let's watch the video and see what he says about all of this. So uh, again, turn, if you don't have your little orange booklet here, what page is Lesson 3 on? Page 15. Turn to page 15 if you haven't done so already. And let's watch about a 10 or 11 minute video. This is the third of our six training sessions. We're halfway there, and I hope you're feeling more and more confident in your ability to actually do what God has asked us to do, to go and make disciples in the places we live, work, and play. So get out your training guide, because we're going to talk about confidence today and focus on what can be the most difficult part of having a gospel conversation, the transition. I want to show you exactly how you can get from an everyday conversation to a gospel conversation. Let me just tell you up front that this tool we call the three circles works best when someone shares a problem, issue, or concern. It's a relational and conversational model, so it works best when you have a relationship with someone that leads to a meaningful conversation. I'm not saying that there won't be times that a complete stranger tells you his or her deepest, darkest fears and concerns. However, it's more likely that people will open up to you if they actually know you. And this means that we need to know some far from God people. This is the first hurdle that some of us need to jump over. Many of us live, work, and play around far from God people, but we don't go out of our way to build relationships with them. We have to be the ones who are willing to go out on a relational limb. Next, we have to be the ones who are willing to turn everyday conversations with those people into gospel conversations. People may freely share problems, issues, or concerns, but 
it's doubtful they will bring God into it. But this is our part. There's no question that this is going to be a lot easier for some of you than it is for others. Some of you are breaking out into a cold sweat right now. It's not easy. I understand that. But remember what we talked about the first week? It's the Holy Spirit who fills believers to do what he did the very first day he showed up on the scene. It's the Holy Spirit who filled Peter, the one who had just denied knowing Jesus, to a little girl. He filled him with boldness to proclaim the gospel to thousands of people. This is the same Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's the same Holy Spirit who indwells me, and we have to ask him to give us his boldness to seize opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. The opportunities will come because we live in a broken world. I don't think I have to tell you that. Every day we hear about another international or national tragedy. Every day divorces are finalized. Drug addicts overdose. Loved ones are diagnosed with cancer. A woman loses her job or a man loses his house. I don't say all this to depress us, but rather to remind us that brokenness is all around us. Brokenness is caused by our own personal sin, by the sins of those close to us, and by the sin that results from just living in a fallen world. Sin splatters, but there's hope. All of this brokenness gives us opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. When people start telling you that they're afraid to travel because of the latest terrorist attack, when they share with you the heartbreak they experienced over their divorce, or when they ask you what they're going to do about their rebellious teenager, these are all gospel opportunities. People are already acknowledging the second circle that we call brokenness. We know God is calling us to action. I like to say when that happens that our spiritual spidey senses start going off. We know that we need to say something, but we don't know what to say, and the moment is fleeting, and so we mumble, oh, pray for you, and then we just quickly move on. We walk away from conversations like that knowing we just blew it. We just missed our opportunity to be God's ambassadors. All believers are called to be about God's business of putting broken people and broken lives back together again. God tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where St. Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And then he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This may be a familiar passage of scripture to you, but remember that it's written to a struggling church full of new believers. None of them had been to seminary. They're the Joes, not the pros. In that chapter, as Paul instructs these new Christians, he uses some form of the word reconciliation five times to describe the work of the gospel in the lives of repenting and believing Christians. Reconciliation means to take things that have been broken apart and put them back together. Go ahead and write this down. God has fixed us to be fixers. Before I go any further, let's ask a few diagnostic questions to help us identify the hurdles we have to overcome to become more effective ambassadors to our broken world. Hurdle number one, how much do you desire to tell others the good news about God making a way for us to get right with Him? The Bible teaches us that Christ's love motivates us to share the gospel. Does Christ's love compel you to share the gospel with others? Raise your desire 
on a scale of one to ten. One being very little desire and ten being a burning desire. Write the number down next to the word desire on your listening guide. Okay, number two. How confident are you in your ability to communicate the gospel to others? One, being not confident at all, and 10 being very confident. Write that number next to confidence. Three, finally, how often do you actually share the gospel? One being almost never, and 10 being regularly. Write that next to obedience. Now let's evaluate. Do you have a desire problem, a confidence problem, or an opportunity problem. Chances are you wouldn't be here if you have a desire problem. You, you may have an opportunity problem, and we're addressing that by challenging you to pray for and build relationships with far from God people. Most likely, it's our confidence problem that holds most of us back. When someone shares a problem, an issue, or a concern with us, they are basically inviting us to comment. This is why we need a plan to transition the conversation. We need to develop our transition statements, memorize them, practice them, and be ready to jump that hurdle, transitioning the conversation to the gospel. We train people to say something like this. I haven't been through that exact thing, but I have had similar problems. Could I share with you something that's really helped me? Notice that we ask permission to share something that has helped us. We aren't forcing our beliefs on them. It's up to them to give us permission or not. We put the ball in their court. Now, some people think it's forced to practice a transition statement. They argue it might hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit. Well, I would argue that a well-practiced transition clears the way for the Spirit's boldness to get the gospel in all kinds of situations. It's kind of like taking driver's ed. I don't know about you, but where I grew up, we had this fenced-off parking lot in the back of the school where we learned to drive. We drove around slowly in the parking lot, carefully avoiding the orange cones until our teacher was satisfied that we could be trusted on the open road. Even if you didn't take driver's ed at school, it's doubtful that your parents just threw you the keys and told you to hit the interstate. We practice in ideal situations so that we can be successful in real world situations. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to write down our well-planned transition statements and then practice them until we've memorized them. Are you ready? Okay, the example goes like this. I haven't been through that exact thing, but I have had similar problems. Can I share something with you that's really helped me? So let's get to it. This time we'll do a role play. Your facilitator will help you with this, but basically it's gonna go like this. One person comes up with a problem, issue, or concern and shares it with the other person. That person then uses the transition statement to turn the conversation to the three circles and goes through the three circles. Now again, it may feel a little awkward, but we practice in here so that we can have more real gospel conversations out there. Now once you practice, your facilitator will give you some time to work on your transition statement, celebrate stories of the conversations you're having, and assign you next week's personal training practice. So partner up, it's time to get those reps. You know, the everyday conversations, uh, what am I hitting on? Too much stuff on the tray, I guess. 
the everyday conversations. Uh, I remember talking to a couple. It wasn't at church. It was a weekday. And a young couple, and they were telling me uh, they were hoping to get married. But some concerns... You know, all the problems in marriages, broken homes and all that, they didn't want to have something like that happen. Is that an open door? You better believe it. So I started talking to both of them. And we got around to, were both of them uh, Christians? Did they know what that meant? And uh, the guy said he was, but the young lady said, no, I'm not a Christian, but I've always wanted somebody, I kid you not, she said, I've always wanted somebody to tell me what that means and how you become a Christian. Well, 10 or 15 minutes later, we were praying and she was surrendering her life to Christ. Because, you know, in that conversation I was talking to them too about God's plan, not they weren't to be unequally yoked. And they're not now. <laughs> so just, I mean, everyday conversations, things that come up as somebody's talking to you. So uh, what's a scenario? Somebody might, you might just be talk, sitting to a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, somebody in the grocery store what what's the scenario somebody might talk to you about <laughs> gas prices okay let's let's get that one too that's a good one gas prices how in the world uh, James how a transition statement how would you go from somebody expressing concern about gas prices and then some kind of transition and somebody you you I've asked James you can chime in too <laughs> yeah. he said okay And what would you do? Uh, think about the price of men's sins in the world, what's going on, right? And they say, yeah, you know, you got a good point there. Well, can I talk to you about that? What, what would be another transition with this one? You could say, you know, not as bad as it could be. Good, I like that. I worry too. 
budget. like that a lot, don't you? I worry too about my budget, but you know, God's, God's given me a peace about it. And transition right in. Do, do you have a peace? You look at the mess in the world today, do you have a peace? Can I talk to you about that? Where my peace comes from? Okay, another one. Uh, somebody mentioned, you mentioned Ukraine. That was it. Is there R A I N E? Yeah. I spelled it right, didn't it? Yeah, okay. So somebody talks about that. And I have a feeling that would kind of generate a question in their mind. What do you mean? Well, I think you, you get the idea, right? I mean, just about anything anybody brings up to you. Gas prices. There is a way you and I can transition to the hope that we have in Christ. And as bad as things are, something about the hope we have. We, we can it doesn't take a lot of creativity to make some kind of transition statement, does it? I, you know, all of us can think of different ways. Uh, look at 21 in your, in your booklet. Now, keep, keep in mind this, this thought, though, that we're talking about, about transitions. Because we're going we're gonna to hit more on that tonight. Look at verse uh, look at page 21. Because along with transitions what are we making a transition into? Sharing the gospel with them. Let me lay this aside again. Uh, sharing the gospel with them. And where are we heading with the Gospel witness, an invitation to them, right? Uh, think about some, look, look at these bullet points on page 21. Andrew invited Peter to meet Jesus. Philip invited Nathaniel to meet Jesus. The Samaritan woman invited her whole town to meet Jesus. Matthew or Levi gave a feast to introduce Jesus to all his friends. Cornelius invited his family and friends to hear the gospel. So as we're transitioning into the gospel, and then and we're talking about the gospel, where are we heading? To give the person 
an invitation. But, you know, sometimes we get stuck, don't we? So what do we do? Well, we need to pray, don't we? In fact, every morning, even before you step out the door that day, just pray that God would help your eyes to be open and your ears attentive to people around you that day. But even as you're talking to somebody and something comes up and you might want to make a transition and you might get stuck. Can you think of anybody in the scripture in the Old Testament who was sitting there serving somebody and that person asked them something and just real quick he said, oh Lord, help me to say the right thing. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Lord, give me wisdom uh, to transition this conversation. And then just pay attention to people. Also, look and listen. You know, Jesus paid attention to people, didn't he? He paid attention to people. Uh, I think of the woman called in adultery. Nobody else wanted to deal with her. Jesus dealt with her. How about the woman at the well? When she came up and he asked her for water. Look at the conversation that ensued. What do you think about walking through Jericho and Jesus walks up, well, looks up, and there's Zacchaeus up there. Nicodemus comes to him by night and has some questions for him. The rich young ruler who walked up to him. I mean, you talk about, of course, of course he did because he's perfect. He's the son of God. But the way he engaged people, the way his eyes and ears were open to people's conditions. Are we like that? Or do we just kind of have blinders on and go through our day? Ask the Lord to just start giving you a sensitive spirit and looking, helping you to look and listen what's going on with people around you every day. I guarantee you the Lord will work you to death, right? If we'll just go through our day looking and listening and paying attention. And then we can transition and share the gospel. Leading up to that invitation. Let's, uh, let's watch video four. And we're going to come back and fill in blanks in a minute. Is that what you want? Okay. Let's watch video four and we'll make sure we got blanks filled in for three and four. But let's watch four. Say what? Give you a second? Okay, well, I'll tell you what, while I give you a second, lesson three, real quick. What are the first three blanks? Problem, issue, or concern. You got it? Problem, issue, or concern. Did you get that? 
We live in a broken world. Brokenness gives us opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. God has fixed us to be fixers. We need a plan to transition the conversation. We ask permission to share something that has helped us. We practice in ideal situations so we can be successful in real world situations. Did I go too fast for anybody? You got them? Okay. Let's watch video number four. Welcome back to the fourth week of our Gospel Conversation training. Today we're moving on to the third of our three Gospel Conversation hinges. So go ahead and get your guidebook and write this down. We're practicing T-G-I because every day we have opportunities to transition the conversation to the Gospel and invite people to repent and believe in Jesus. We've worked on our transitions already and our Gospel presentations. We've gotten in our reps, presenting the whole gospel, which is, why don't you go ahead and say it out loud with me. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. In this session, we're going to work on our invitations. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to be invited places, even if I can't go. It's just nice to get invited. I really like to get invited to weddings. My wife always comments on the invitations themselves. The really nice paper, the printing, the ribbons, and the bows. I just look forward to the party and what we're going to eat. A wedding invitation is actually a great gospel analogy, at least Jesus thought so. Jesus once told a parable about a wealthy man who decided to throw an extravagant party for all of his closest friends. He wanted them to enjoy the best he had to offer. He sent out the invitations and made all the preparations. He imported the finest foods and hired the best private chefs. He laid out a lavish table complete with china and fresh flowers. This banquet would have rivaled that of today's fanciest hotels. When everything was ready, the host sent out his own messengers to gather the guests. One by one, people started making excuses. Some were too busy tending to their own affairs or conducting their own business. One said he couldn't come because he had just gotten married. In other words, it just wasn't a convenient time. This made the party host angry. So he sent his messengers back out to invite broken people, the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Many of these people were thrilled to accept and they eagerly came. But there was still room for more, so the host sent out his messengers again, urging them to go further from his home and compel more people to come. He wanted his house filled with any who would accept his invitation and enjoy his elaborate party. This parable is called the parable of the wedding feast. 
In this parable, Matthew says the extravagant party is actually a wedding feast for the man's son. Some of Jesus' parables are difficult to understand, but this one is simple. The wealthy, extravagant man inviting people to his party is God. The son is Jesus. The people being invited are all kinds of people from all walks of life. The people doing the inviting are those who already serve the host. They're like the believers, like you and me. And God is now making his appeal through us. We are God's messengers. God invites everyone, the deal maker, the homemaker, and the homeless. He invites the mainstream and the marginalized. Jesus personally invited many to follow him. These followers, in turn, extended the invitation to others. The Bible tells how Jesus saw Philip and simply said to him, follow me. Philip then went and found his friend Nathanael and invited him to come and meet Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael, he already knew his heart and said that he had seen Nathanael under the tree. Jesus knows who belongs to him. He calls people by name and they follow him. We are his mouthpieces. He's counting on us to issue the invitation. The Bible says God is making his appeal through us. We don't just want to give the information. We always want to give the invitation. But we're only responsible for the invite. We have to remember that we can't control the response. Just as many in Jesus' story refused the invitation to the great banquet, some will refuse our invitations. This shouldn't keep us from inviting. Instead, we need to let the gospel be the filter. This means we have to let the gospel be the deciding factor. We can't let our fear be the filter. We can't let our lack of experience be the filter. We can't let our suspicion that they won't be interested be the filter. Too often, we're guilty of prejudging people and assuming that they won't respond to the gospel. But God tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We're going to train you to issue a two-step invitation. First, we want to invite the person to identify his current location in the three circles diagram. Since we transition from conversations about people's problems, issues, or concerns, it's likely that they will either identify brokenness or the squiggly lines of other coping mechanisms. If they don't, you can gently redirect them to what started your conversation in the first place. That was their problem, issue, or concern. Secondly, once the person identifies with brokenness, we say, is there anything that would keep you from repenting and believing the gospel right now? This is a very important question, and guess what we need to do with it? We need to practice it. I'm going to say it again. Is there anything that would keep you from repenting and believing the gospel right now? Finally, we want to help people invite Jesus to save them from their sins. This means we're going to lead them in a theologically accurate prayer. Now hear me carefully, I'm not suggesting that there are some magic words people need to say in order to be saved, but the Bible does say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It also says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So there's a heart component that we can't see, but there's also a mouth component that we can hear. So when someone tells us they're ready to repent and believe the gospel, we can help them confess it out loud. 
we can lead new believers in a simple prayer that reflects the decision they just made. I like to tell people what the prayer is going to say and then ask them to pray it with me. I tell them the prayer goes like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and make me clean on the inside. I need you to heal the broken places in my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I'm repenting of my sins right now and believing in Jesus. Help me recover and pursue your design for my life. I ask them if that prayer reflects what they are thinking and feeling. If they say yes, then I ask them to repeat it after me. Again, this isn't a magical prayer that seals the deal on someone's eternal destiny. We know we're saved by grace through faith. However, the prayer is a way to help people confess their inward belief. So can you guess what's next? That's right, it's your turn. I want you to partner up and practice giving the invitation. Just give it your best first shot. You're going to transition to the three circles, go all the way through the three circles with your complete gospel presentation, and now you're going to issue the invitation using these two questions. One, where do you see yourself in this diagram? Two, is there anything that would keep you from repenting and believing the gospel right now? Then you will explain what the Bible says about calling on God, what your prayer is going to express, and then lead them in that prayer. The questions and the sample prayer are in your trainee guide to help you. Once you've finished some reps, your facilitator will give you time to work on your prayers, share your stories, and assign you your personal training practice. Let's practice being really good inviters in here so we can be really good inviters out there. Let's go. Let's start getting those reps. I had a uh, professor one time that expressed opposition to these churches that preach on a Sunday morning or any other service. Hello? Oh. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he expressed opposition. Well, greetings. <laughs> he expressed uh, opposition to uh, these churches that preach the gospel. The preacher gets done preaching, says, Amen, they go home. No invitation. Because as this professor went on to say, you look in the scripture and the gospel is both gift and demand. It's gift and demand. Here's the good news. Believe. In giving people an opportunity. Remember what Paul said? God is making his appeal how? We read it in 2 Corinthians 5. God is making his appeal through us. So you can ask somebody when you're making this pre and you've gone through the gospel, ask, you know, where do you see yourself in this? Broken? Or maybe these lines representing what you're trying to do to fix your own brokenness. Where, where are you? And inviting them to believe. To repent and believe.
inviting them to trust Christ. Now, we don't want to force the issue if they're not ready. Uh, any of you in here watch NASCAR? Okay. Have you ever seen one of the announcers, uh, Steve Latarte, tall guy, used to be Jeff Gordon's crew chief. You know who I'm talking about? Steve Latarte. He's one of the correspondents up in the booth now. Uh, Steve Latarte's parents live right over here in Harrisburg. I've been in their home a couple of times. They were lost. They're believers now. Okay? Steve Latart's parents. But there was a man sharing the gospel with them that was determined right then and there they were going to receive the gospel. They were going to be saved. They weren't ready. And he was so forceful with them, it really turned them off for a long time. Because they just weren't ready and they told him so. And he, he wasn't going to let them off the hook. He kept pushing. They kept pushing back. And, uh, but anyway, like I say, the man left without them turning to Christ. And it really put them off for a while. Uh, so, obviously, you don't want to push if they're not ready. You don't sense the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. But if they're ready, go ahead and lead them. And look at that prayer in your booklet. The last thing I want to do is lead any of you. I don't want any of you to leave with the impression, i got to say this prayer with them just like this prayer is written in the book. Because, you know, after all, God knows the heart. But I do think that prayer expresses some of the basic elements of what should be uh, in somebody's heart. Uh, listen, listen to the prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and make me clean on the inside. I need you to heal the broken places in my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I'm repenting of my sins and believing in Jesus. Help me recover and pursue your design for my life. You may want to say, uh, this is a prayer um, that I want to just lead you in if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ. And here's what I'm going to pray and tell them. And just say, as I tell you what I'm going to pray, does, does this express what you're wanting to tell God? Yes, yes it does. Then would you pray this along with me? Let me lead you in this prayer. And you pray it along with me. And I'll just take it slow and you pray after me and lead them. I, again, I don't, want you, I don't want you to think, oh, we, we've got to lead them in a certain prayer just right. You know? But this is a good example of how you would want to lead somebody to surrender their life to Christ if, if they're ready. But giving somebody that opportunity after you've presented the gospel does this make sense to you uh, is there anything in your life that is it holding you back 
from coming to Christ right now and believing because He can minister to your brokenness and help you in this time you're in. Even if He doesn't fix it overnight, He can give you the strength in the days ahead that you need. Is there anything that would prevent you from coming to Christ today? No, I can't think of anything. Well, can I just lead you in a prayer? Yeah. Well, here's what I'm going to pray. And, and I tell them in advance. And then, if this is what is in your heart, let's say this prayer again together, and I'll lead you. Make sense? And you know what? If they say, hmm, sounds good, I'm just, I'm just not ready to deal with, you know. Don't force the issue. You can press home the urgency of it without being rude or forceful. Because remember, it's the Lord working on their heart. It's not us saving them. It's the Lord that's got to save them. Well, what I want you to do is divide up in a group of two or three, okay? And just talk through this again. Present to one another. Give a transition statement. Present the gospel. And then the person you're in the group with, again, pretending like they're lost, issue the invitation to them and lead them in a sinner's prayer. Somebody might get saved here tonight, you know? Just kidding, but hey, you never know. But anyway, uh, divide up in your group again. And the reason I say maybe only two, because I want both of you to practice this. And then that's going to be about all the time we have tonight, okay? So get in a group of two, maybe three. Three at the most.
If we can, let's wrap up in a minute or two. Okay, did you get all the blanks of the fourth video? Get your book out and, and uh, turn to the fourth video. I just want to go over those quickly. The first bullet point where it says we practice TGI, what's the first fill in the blank? Transition. The second one, invite. Uh, gospel, I'm sorry. Uh, transition the conversation to the gospel and invite people to repent and believe in Jesus. Thank you, I got ahead of myself. So transition, gospel, and invite. We are God's messengers. We don't want we don't just want to give the information, we always want to give the invitation. And then let the gospel be the filter. Did you get those? Filter. Mm-hmm. Filter. Okay, well folks, we've gone almost 10 minutes over. Scott Barfield, would you close our time in prayer?